1: Hi everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Brack, and today we are devoting an entire episode to grief and loss, and how to rediscover yourself and heal after the death of someone that you love. On the program today, we're joined by author Michelle Neff-Fernandez, who wrote Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself and Healing After Grief and Trauma. Different After You is really for anyone grieving the death of a person that they love with a special focus on those who are widowed. Also, later in the show, we will meet life coach Carly Cooper, who just launched a brand new podcast called So That Just Happened, an honest exploration of what it's like to lose your person and find yourself. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Michelle Neff-Hernandez and her book, Different After You. Different After You helps people adapt to and embrace the version of themselves that was born through trauma. Though people who have experienced trauma, she says, are often encouraged to live as if their awful experience did not happen, pretending that your past is not part of your life is both impossible and harmful. Instead, as she writes, Our work is to treat the experiences through which we have lived, both the beautiful and the terrible, as part of a whole. Michelle encourages people to get to know today's version of themselves and learn to value and courageously embody the person that they have now become. Michelle explains that this concept of recognizing the interconnectedness of past, present, and future is called integration, the blending of all the experiences we have lived in the past with our present and future. When we commit to viewing our lives through an integrated lens, we can create a dynamic healing tool for mending our hearts and living a full and meaningful life. Michelle Neff Hernandez was also a 2021 CNN hero. Congratulations on that. She's a gifted speaker and a committed advocate for the widowed and bereaved. Her creation of Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits has brought her international acclaim. Michelle regularly speaks to first responders, hospital workers, religious congregations, and diverse community organizations. She lives in Southern California, where she's coming to us from now. Michelle, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Great to have you here. Judy, it's so lovely to be here, and I
0: I just honor your willingness to take a minute to talk about this topic. I think it's so relevant right
2: now.
1: Absolutely. And I I just want to say, first of all, having read your book, uh, my deepest condolences on the loss of your first husband, the love of your life, Phil. And uh, I just want to say that and say that I think you became an instant expert in grief and loss when your husband was killed in a tragic accident. Can you tell us what ultimately led you to write Different After You? I
0: felt compelled to share my understanding of integration because it made such a huge difference for me personally. When Philip died, and thank you so much for those condolences. I love being able to hear his name. He has been dead for 17 years. And so after 17 years, you can imagine that a lot of times you don't hear your person's name as often as you once did. And so thank you for that. But the reason I felt compelled to share the power of integration is because for a long time after phil died my hope was to get back to who i was before he died i kept thinking how can i how can i go back to that because i was encouraged mostly by you know society as a whole if you could just go back to how you were and not let this terrible experience influence who you are then we can consider you healed but the truth was it was impossible not to be influenced by the death of my husband by what i learned through the process of grieving him, I couldn't go back to a person who had never had that experience before. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that learning to accept who I was, who I was becoming through the healing, through the traumatic experience was gonna be a really important thing for me. And so fast forward through founding an organization working with thousands of wounded people working on some research around resilience. And it turns out integration is one of the key factors in resilience. And so understanding that at a different level, having lived it for so many years, once I had been widowed 15 years, that's when I started really working and diving into the work of the book. And it felt like a very full circle way to share what in retrospect had been a key part of my own healing, but also confirmed by research and by experience in supporting so many other people through their own death experiences.
1: What I found so fascinating was in the book, you talk about how you interviewed 50 people who had Mm -hmm. lost their spouses. Initially, when this happened to you, you started to interview people. And I think that was so brilliant. Can you tell us sort of what led you to that decision? Because I think that really helped in your healing. It certainly
0: did. And it created a community that serves me still. I was 35 years old when my husband died. I had a blended family of six and I didn't have any idea how to be widowed. And I kept thinking, is there a way? Like, is there something I'm supposed to know? How do I do this? And the only thing I could think of was asking other widowed people. It just kept coming back to me. Maybe I should ask other widowed people. And so I set out on A journey, really, over a year-long period of time. And I would just told my small community of people, okay, does anyone know someone who's widowed? And when someone say yes, I'd say, do you think they would talk to me? And so that willingness to kind of ask the question took me all across the country, all kinds of crazy adventures, that's for another time. Mm -hmm conversation for another time. But at the end of it all, what I think was most clear was that this community that I'd accidentally created by interviewing other people who had shared my experience Mm -hmm. really validated for me over and over again, that the changes that I was experiencing were normal, that there were many, many different ways to process grief, that there was not one right way to do this, that I could throughout these experiences with other people start to frame my own Mm -hmm. And so they became a really pivotal part of what would eventually become the community. Soaring Spirits International is the nonprofit that I founded to support widowed people and provide peer support programs. Mm -hmm. And there were 30 formal interviews Mm -hmm. and those 30 people really became my community. And I thought, if I could share them with the world, well, what if instead of just these 30, what if it's as many people as want to come? And so... It's been an incredible experience to share that community with other widowed people over these past 15 years.
1: Wow. What a gift that you're giving to people to have that community. I mentioned this to you at the top of the show before we went on air, that I originally wanted to do this show because of a very dear friend of mine, Donna, who passed away unexpectedly from an illness. And she was truly an angel on this planet, one of the most pure and outward-focused kindest people I've ever known. And this has been very difficult, not only for her family, her immediate family to process, but really for everyone surrounding her. I can't even imagine what it's been like for her family who are suffering from this unimaginable loss. What is the first thing that you tell a newly widowed person and their close family members who are grieving? What is the lifeline that you throw them initially?
0: The very first thing I say to someone who's newly grieving is to be kind to yourself. And it is so difficult to do sometimes because we feel like we should. Then you can fill in the blank after the word should. I should be helping more. I should be able to sleep through the night without nightmares. I should be able to do all of the things that I normally do in my regular life. I should be able to balance all of the things I usually balance. And so I ask people to try to remove the word should. And to offer themselves every grace so that they can acknowledge that this huge thing has happened and this huge thing has changed everything. Mm -hmm. And that is such a hard reality. That's why our bodies, our minds, our spirits rebel because we understand that everything's been changed because this person who is pivotal to our lives in whatever way that was for us individually is no longer physically present for us. Mm -hmm. And that reality is going to change everything. So being kind to yourself in the aftermath of that and I know that that may sound like not enough. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that we can be our worst enemies in grief by pushing ourselves and by judging ourselves and by thinking that we need to be different than we are in order to feel like we've healed or we're healing or we're doing something positive to support our friends. I like to offer this analogy for people who are supporting someone who's grieving at death. And that is if you can imagine that the death of this person is an earthquake that has opened a big chasm in the earth. And we are all standing around that big circle and we are looking at it from our own perspective. Mm-hmm. Same hole in the ground, different perspective depending on where you're standing. Mm-hmm. So each person can experience this huge loss and yet. They are only able to see it from their own perspective. So if even you shift to the left just a little bit, you're going to see something a little different and you shift all the way around to the other side and you're going to see something that you couldn't see from your perspective. And so as we all grieve a person who we share, Mm -hmm. being kind to each other is another really beautiful thing that we can offer. Also recognizing that we can't see what they see. And so while your friend died, someone who is so pivotal in your life that you consider an angel on earth, that was... And that experience is valid. It's not the same loss as her, say, daughter or child or husband or wife or partner. We won't be able to experience that because that's not our vantage point. We do have our own. Mm -hmm. And so being able to sort of stand around this and lock hands with each other is really one of the most beautiful things we can do in support of someone who's grieving.
1: I want to get to how we can support family members. But what are some other practical tips for people who are grieving? Mm -hmm to just get through this time, to be able to breathe again, to be able to live again. Are there any tips other than being kind to yourself that you would offer?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll start with kind as an overreaching all the other things. The second thing is to remember that our bodies can shut down with shock. And so the reason why your brain is foggy is because your body is protecting you from understanding all of this at once. Mm -hmm. So really being able to take things one at a time, which in our, you know, multifaceted world is often not something that we do. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Understanding that there are going to be some things that you're able to do and some things you just can't do right now. For example, if you can't make yourself have a celebration of life in the moment, it's okay to delay that. It's okay to give yourself permission to do things differently than people expect you to do them. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself struggling to get out of bed, look at your schedule and allow yourself to have some extra sleep. If you find yourself struggling to sleep, understand that it's normal and start giving yourself one support at a time, right? Just one support at a time. So instead of saying, my life is a whole mess because guess what? Everything's changed, so it might feel very messy. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking to yourself, okay, I gotta deal with this whole thing, it's impossible to deal with it all at once. Mm-hmm. You take one small thing at a time mm-hmm. and you ask yourself, who can help me with this thing mm-hmm. so that you can get additional support? And as a supporter, so if we'll take that step, right? We look at that from a different perspective as someone who's supporting someone who's grieving. What's one practical thing that you can do to support this family or this specific person? (laughs) I love to give the tip, buy a gift card for a local restaurant that delivers. Write a note, put that gift card in the mail, send it. No expectation of a return or acknowledgement Mm -hmm. because I can promise you that your grieving person at some point is going to be like, I know I'm supposed to eat, but I can't, I can't, I can't make anything. The refrigerator is empty. Oh, my friend, you sent me that gift card. Mm -hmm. And now here you have helped in a way that you couldn't predict Mm -hmm. and it didn't require anything of your grieving person. They didn't have to open the door. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to pretend like they were okay for a moment. They didn't have to wonder if they should invite you in right. because the house might be a little messy. And so the other thing to consider is who are you in the grieving person's world? If you're a person who has a key to the house and you feel like you could go over and clean the kitchen one day, Do it. great. Do it. They walk into a clean kitchen. But again, this is not for someone to come knocking on the door and say, hi, I'd like to clean your kitchen. Right. You have to be the right kind of person for that, right? So if you're not that close to someone that you have the key and you feel like you could at any time walk into their house, please don't clean their kitchen. Right. right. <laughs> but the other thing to remember is that there are things in a person's life who's grieving that we cannot predict are important. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people say, well, I'll go do the laundry. And my only caveat to that is wait one minute, make sure you're not washing the clothes of the person who died or picking up all the blankets Mm -hmm. in the house and putting them in the wash. Because this has happened over and over again out of an abundance of kindness, right? You want to do something helpful Mm -hmm. and yet the thing that you've done has washed the last sheets they slept on accidentally. And so I just ask you to be careful, but mm-hmm. also be practical, mm-hmm. because these are the things. If you go and you see that the lawn has not been mowed in many, many weeks, and that's a thing that you could offer,
1: don't knock on the door. Just go just, do the lawn. Ask, yeah, just do it. Don't ask. Just do it. That I've heard over. Lawn. Yes, I've heard that yeah. over and over. Don't ask because they don't know. They don't even know what yes. they're saying or doing. Just mm-hmm. do whatever you can do. Right. Carefully.
0: and just that, you want to make sure that you're not causing harm. But right. here's another great one. Is if you're at the grocery store yourself, call them and say, I'm at the grocery store right now. Do you yes. need milk? Do you need bread? Do you need orange juice? Do you need anything specific? I'll just drop it on your porch. Right. And right. they may or may not answer, you know, send it as a text. Hey, at the grocery store, we'll be here for 30 minutes. Yes. If there's a single thing you need, I can pick it up and just put it on your porch. You know, consider me your Uber Eats. Like that's Mm -hmm. the thing that is so easy to do. And again, may or may not be answered. Please don't take that to mean Mm -hmm. that you're not helpful. It just means they don't have the capacity to answer you
1: right now. Of course. I love in the book, Michelle, when you write about how when a widowed person goes to an event with other couples, it can be extremely painful and it's much more helpful for them to have the shared experience of a community of like-minded people. Can you speak to the power of shared experience and how this can be very helpful and comforting to the person who's grieving to be with other people who are grieving.
0: Absolutely. And the trouble is that when you're grieving, you never know how you're going to be. So sometimes you may be having a better day than you expected. Other days you might be having started out pretty good and then went far south. I had the experience myself of getting ready to go have dinner with friends, getting one shoe on. You know, I'm all dressed. I have one shoe on and I just can't make myself put on the other shoe. Hmm. And so rather than go, I just didn't. And so, if as people who are supporting grievers, we can know that sometimes in a shared experience, for example, being with other people who are also widowed, being with other people who are also grieving, they get that. I could share that story and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I totally (laughs) did that. Makes me feel less crazy. (laughs) I was feeling a little bit like, what's wrong with me? I can't even get a second shoe on. Like I was halfway there. And so, being in with others who share a similar experience, I think this is so true for. Anyone who's experienced even a specific type of death, for Mm -hmm. example, a suicide death, if someone has had an experience of someone dying by cancer or by heart attack or by accident, having an opportunity to be with people who shared that very specific experience Mm -hmm. can validate for them some of the things that are truly difficult about it that other people just would not know. It's impossible to know. And this is one of the reasons why we're changed in the aftermath of trauma is because we've experienced something specific and that specific thing is now part of our life experience, which we will never forget. And putting us in a room with other people who've had that same life experience is one of the most validating and powerful things that can happen for someone living with a trauma.
1: You've worked with many thousands of widowed people all over the world. Can you share with us someone's story of healing and triumph? that's had a great impact on you?
0: I had a woman whose husband lived with a life-altering illness that was related to his heart. And when they got married, they both knew that it was likely that they would not have a long marriage because his condition would eventually take his life. Mm -hmm. And I met this person after his death and she told me, I don't think there's a possibility of me recovering. I'm never going to be happy again because he was my happiness. And I know this is what I signed up for, she told me, but I can't imagine a place where I'm going to be able to get back to where I was. Fast forward, it's going to be now 10 years. She is facilitating groups for other wooded people. Wow. She is serving on the board of directors of our partner organization, Soaring Spirits Canada, to be able to provide additional support for wooded people throughout Canada. Wow. She has rebuilt her life in an incredibly beautiful way and is so joyful about the way she lives. And she has allowed the trauma of her person's death to be a part of her life. And that allowing of the change that came Mm -hmm. has allowed her then next to get to know who she is now Mm -hmm. and to look at this new self as someone who has triumphed, as Mm -hmm. someone who has been changed by trauma, yes, but also who has used those changes to better acknowledge pain in the world to be able to serve with and for other people and Mm -hmm. to hold on to joy much, much more intentionally. And it's the flip side of the coin of pain and trauma. Mm -hmm. On the other side of it is joy. And that's not to say that pain and trauma don't exist. They do. They basically hold hands throughout our lifetime. And so being able to see those two things as intertwined in the human experience Mm -hmm. makes space for them both and allows us to have joy in a way that no other thing in my experience has.
1: I thank you for this. I think what you've just talked about really is an example of that integration of integrating the person into your actual daily life in every way you know how and still living a present and having a possibility of a future. But they are part of it. And that helps with the grief. They have integrated past, present and future. That I think was a great example of that happening. Just briefly, you talk about resilience and grief. What do you mean by that exactly?
0: What I mean when we talk about resilience and grief is the ability to use integration as a tool to continue to build a beautiful life after and through your grief. And so understanding that grief is always going to be a part of our lives, always. Mm -hmm. For as long as we love, we will grieve. And so to know that we can take that love with us, it is part of the grief. So we aren't going to separate the two. The resilience piece is about coming back to a place where we can both value the love and make space for the grief Mm -hmm. and live a life that acknowledges both. When we speak about resilience publicly, Mm -hmm. oftentimes the misunderstanding is that resilience is bouncing right back from something bad that happened. Mm And so something bad happened immediately, we are Mm -hmm. already moved into how do I make this better? How do I change this into something positive? And you'll hear a lot about toxic positivity. And what that means to me is that we don't make space for the grief first. Mm -hmm. First, we have to allow ourselves to be sad. We have to allow ourselves to understand the enormous changes that are happening because this person died. And resilience allows us to dig into that, feel it, and Mm -hmm. then begin making space for it in our life ongoing, while also making space for joy, while also making space for building a life of meaning with and around the experiences that we've had in our lives. Your friend is always going to be part of your life. Mm -hmm. She's always going to have a place. And as long as we can make space for every person we love who's died, we don't lose them 100%. -hmm. Of course, their physical person is gone, but their spirit remains, the things they taught us, the love we shared, the laughter we shared, all of that remains but only if we allow ourselves to be changed and allow them to have an ongoing part in our lives.
1: Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I I think that can be so helpful to so many people. We don't have time for all of it, but if you had to say very briefly, like just the words, so that people have to get different after you to learn more, what is the seven-step process that you share in different after you? Seven steps. I never knew there were so many. We're going to hear all about these steps in just a moment after this short commercial break. Back in a moment. we're back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zuma Radio AM 740. And I'm here with author Michelle Neff Hernandez, who wrote Different After You. And just before the break, Michelle, I was asking you about your seven-step process that you recommend to help people.
0: So the first step is to acknowledge that you've been changed. The second one is to take the opportunity to grieve not only the person or the experience, but who you were at that time, the you that was present in that moment. Mm -hmm. The next is to take inventory, to discover what matters to you, because oftentimes in our grief and through trauma, what matters to us changes. And so it might be exactly the same, but we should ask the question. Next is to explore by embracing possibility. So the explore chapter is about asking yourself questions. Do I still like all the same things I used to like? taking out an old, say, hobby and saying,
1: hey, I used to love to knit. Do I still love to knit? I used to snow ski. Is that something I still want to do? I'm going to interject and say, you even say, I used to love the color blue. Do I still love the color blue? Because maybe that color makes me sad now. Or absolutely, you might, you might even be changing something like that and be open to allowing that to happen. And that really
0: is the key, Judy, is that I ask people to take the moment to consider the question without immediately answering. Because if you loved blue and that was your favorite color, you might immediately say, yes, I love blue. But what I'm asking you to do is say, do I love blue? And sit with that for a minute. And I use that super simple example just as a way to allow people to start asking themselves the most basic questions. Mm -hmm. Because you might be surprised by what's changed. Mm -hmm. Next is to imagine by dreaming a new dream. And This chapter is really about asking yourself if the things around you serve you now. So let's say you used to have a hobby that you shared with the person who died. And really, you love that hobby, but you might discover that you really loved it because you shared it. Maybe it's not the hobby that drove you, but everyone around you knows you do this. You know, you love this hobby and Christmas or or Hanukkah or whatever celebration you have giving gifts or your birthday, people bring you a gift that's, Part of that hobby, mm-hmm. it's yes, clear. Yes. And then suddenly, what if you don't really love it anymore? Now everybody around you is like, "But Judy, you love that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean you don't love it?"
1: I love in the book the way you talk about the running and how you had to stop for a mm-hmm. while. This was a mm-hmm. thing you shared with Philip, with Phil. Mm-hmm. Something you loved to do was to run together marathons, and then you stopped because you were so not enjoying this after mm-hmm. he passed away. But then many years later with one of your children, I think your daughter, you mm-hmm. took it up again and found the joy. And in again, in this wonderful activity that you shared with your husband, but now it was in a new form.
0: And it's so great that you brought that up because sometimes the thing we love maybe doesn't serve us right now. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean it won't come back. Mm-hmm. And so being willing to ask the question, allow yourself to get a break from things that might be painful is so helpful yes. to you as a person, as you're healing. Mm-hmm. The next one is reclaim. And this chapter is all about being able to decide for yourself what kind of life you want to build because the people around you are very used to who you were before. And again, you may look similar. You may from the outside to them seem completely the same and yet you feel changed. And so being able to claim that for yourself is an important part of allowing that change and accepting that change whatever has been an evolution of your trauma. And my one of my favorites is the last one, which is own, to allow yourself to own the new person that you're becoming and to celebrate them and to acknowledge and honor the pain and the horrible thing that has happened to you and the fact that you have found a space for it and you have allowed yourself to be changed by it and then you built a life for the new you that was on the other side of it mm mm-hmm. that's, that's
1: amazing stuff. Just briefly about hope, because hope is everything. Without it, it's hard mm-hmm. to move forward. It's hard to find your bliss without hope. How can you instill hope in people who are grieving?
0: I want just to say to everyone who's listening that hope as we present it in the world often is very shiny, right? You imagine it as the sunshine. You imagine it with rays coming out of it. What I would love for you to offer grieving people is gritty hope it's dirty. It's in the ground. It's been stomped on. It does not have any kind of sunny, shiny thing anywhere near it. It's not sparkly. It's the gritty hope that we can survive. <laughs> and if we require our grieving people to hope in a way that's sunshiny and sparkly when they are feeling so dark. It's not to say that we don't want to have pinpricks of light to go towards, but it is to say that if what you hope for is that you sleep better tonight, that's enough. Mm -hmm. If what you hope for is that you can make it through your day, you know, half of the day without having a huge panic attack, that's Mm -hmm. enough. You don't have to hope for the biggest, beautiful, life ahead of you. Although if that's your thing, please do accept that and love that. But if you can only hope for the next five minutes, that's enough. Mm -hmm. And offering our grieving people the chance to just acknowledge that is really, really important. Mm
1: -hmm. I just want to ask you briefly, and I know I want to get to the end because I know we're out of time, but there's so many questions. I'm going to have to have you back on again, Michelle. Michelle, How do we normalize the grief experience for people? Because people act weird and uncomfortable around someone who is grieving. They really do.
0: I think that the most important thing for someone to know is that they can't fix it. In our society, we want things to be fixed. And so if someone comes to you as a grieving person, oftentimes we think that means that they're broken and our job is to fix them somehow. Mm -hmm, I want mm -hmm. to confirm for everyone listening, your job is not to fix your grieving person your job is to allow your person to grieve and to sit beside them while they do in whatever way is most comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Which does not mean sitting in their house holding their hand for some people. It does not mean that if you're not able to show up by hearing them, that you can't show up. Like I said, you can send a gift card, you could mow the lawn, you could drive the kids for carpool, you could offer a number of different practical things that wouldn't require you to be in the depths of their grief mm-hmm. and still allow you to support them in theirs. But the biggest thing is to not ask them to stop grieving in order to make you feel better. Because so often that's what we do. We ask people, please don't show me your grief because if you do, I'm going to be sad. Or if you do, I'm going to feel helpless. And so we require them to act as if something horrible hasn't happened in order for us to feel better. If you can give yourself the permission to step back, if you need to step back because you can't handle it, mm-hmm. that will allow them to continue to have their feelings and to be who they are in this moment without feeling like they're going to lose you mm-hmm. if you are uncomfortable with their feelings. Wow.
1: Well, I normally ask people at the end of the show, what is bliss for Michelle Neff mm-hmm. And I want to ask you that. But I also want to preface it with, is bliss still possible?
0: Absolutely. In fact, I would say that bliss is even more powerful, even more beautiful, even more valuable to me when the moments of bliss come. And I think grief has taught me that bliss does not have to be huge. Hmm. It can be the best cup of coffee. Hmm. It can be a five minutes in the sun when I didn't think I was going to have a break during the day. It can be a text from someone I love. Bliss for me is really about acknowledging that joy sits beside grief and allowing myself to have the joy come to the top in the form of bliss over and over again throughout my day is one of the things that makes life so beautiful. Mm -hmm.
1: That's wonderful, wonderful stuff i I really want to thank you so much, Michelle, for being a guest on this program day, and I encourage everyone to get this book different after you because it's great stuff, you're just saying some really helpful, comforting words. What is the best way for people to contact you, connect with you on social media, and of course, to get a copy of your book? Well,
0: please visit my website, com, And all of that stuff is there, including the connection to the organization I founded, Soaring Spirits International.
1: And you can also find that at soaringspirits.org. I want to thank you so much for being here today. I think you're going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much for having me we're going to go on a short commercial break more with finding your bliss and an incredible person coach and new podcast host carly cooper and her experience of grief when we come back back in a moment
2: finding your bliss is brought to you by create canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're now joined by Life Coach and now podcast host of an excellent new podcast. Her name is Carly Cooper. And her brand new podcast, So That Just Happened, just launched this month. But before we start to talk, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Carly Cooper. Carly believes that while there are many things in life that we can't control, with a positive mindset, an openness to do the work, intentional action, accountability, and the right support tools, everyone has the ability to reinvent themselves and live a beautiful life unapologetically on their own terms. In 2006, she founded CarlyCooperCoaching.com. She's the creator of the Conquer Anxiety System, the Awaken Your Abundant Mind System, and as just mentioned, she is currently the host and creator of the podcast. So that just happened, and as I mentioned, it really is excellent. I've only listened to one episode thus far, but I'm excited to hear more, and it's I think going to help a lot of people. She also wrote the empowering book balance the mother load, reinvent your life in just eight weeks. Carly's work has been featured in Chatelaine and Flare magazine. She's been a repeat guest on Rogers Daytime Toronto, and she's been interviewed before on this program, Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. Carly Cooper, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss.
3: Thank you, Judy. So nice to be here.
1: I remember we had a wonderful conversation back at the Zoomer studios in the first season of this show. And that was four years ago. A lot has happened since then. And I wanted to, first of all, express my heartfelt condolences to you, Carly, just in person about the loss of your beloved husband to you and your family. I I am so sorry for you. Thank you. We're meeting today virtually, but still on Zoomer radio in season four. And I can't get over this thing that you've just created. I've just listened, as I mentioned, to one episode, but the podcast is called So That Just Happened, which you describe as being an honest exploration of what it's like to lose your person and find yourself. Can you tell us what the inspiration was behind the podcast that I know already is helping so many people?
3: Thank you. Yeah, you know... uh, (laughs) It really came from a place of, I mean, I, I basically, after my husband passed away in May of 2021, I really took the next, I would say, 18 months to heal and do the work. I stopped coaching. I stopped posting, uh, I, I really just what I call cocooned. And I'm just someone who naturally wants to teach and share. But I really felt for that year, I needed to take these lessons for myself. And I didn't have the words yet to articulate to other people. I didn't know what was even happening or What I was innately creating at the time. I was just sort of living and being and healing and doing all of those things for myself. But there is something that is just innate in me that wants to teach and wants to share and wants to help. But what was different for me this time was instead of wanting to coach other people through their stuff, I felt for me something shifted and something changed where I used to be able to. Take on other people's stuff and Mm. hear it, but also be able to detach from it at the end of the day or at the end of the session. And it wouldn't affect me emotionally or physically. I was there for the session, but when I was done, I was done. And Mm. I was able to put it in a box and place it somewhere. But for, well, what I, obvious reasons, you know, my own trauma, my own grief, I find that now. I'm not able to do that in the same way. I call it emotional shrapnel and I just have, I'm more sensitive to other people's struggles and issues. And so I just felt like I needed to make that shift from going from coaching to the role of really just teaching and having it be more of a one sided conversation. So I can still help other people in the way that I feel like I was born to do, but also protect my energy in the same way, Mm -hmm. in a way that would be okay for me to handle because I'm a sensitive empath and I feel people's energy and I take on their stuff even when I don't want to. (laughs) It just happens. And so this podcast really came from a place of knowing that I have things to say and share, but while also protecting my
1: energy and doing what feels good and right for me at the same time. I love that. I, As I mentioned, I I listened to the first one and it is so raw and authentic and engaging. You have a lovely voice and there's something about you on it. It's just, it's relatable. And I know a lot of people are feeling this way. And I just want to ask you for anyone, and I know there's going to be many people who can relate to this, who are widowed and who are listening to this today. A lot of people who've lost a mate are often paralyzed and unable to do anything in the beginning. What helped you get through those initial days and weeks when your whole world fell apart? What do you do in that very short term?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, before I answer it, I want to just say that my way and my process is not the only way, or it's not the right way necessarily. It's the way that I did it. And so when I say what I'm about to say, I don't want people to compare their journey to mine and think that they're not doing it right, or, you know, I am some superhero or whatever. It's all personal and it's all based on. The amount of work that I've done throughout my life, I've been in the personal growth and development industry for over 30 years. Mm. So I've done so much mindset work and had my own coaches and read a ton of things prior to this. So for me, it was almost just like muscle memory of things. And I'm not saying it kicked in like day one, it didn't. Mm -hmm. But I had This perspective and this, I have this way of thinking. I have rewired my brain to Hmm. think a certain way and to always try and find a silver lining and to always try and find the lesson in things and the good in things, even when they're terrible and unimaginable. And by no means am I saying that it was easy for me, but I knew. I just, something kicked in and it's the instinct that I had and the intuition that I had mm-hmm. that just said, I have to be okay because my son was 14 at the time and I had two dogs and I had a house and I had to just now wow. deal with everything. So again, I'm not suggesting that it was easy and that I didn't struggle and that I didn't have all of the the feelings. I did and I continue to, but I also had this... I guess innate ability to just move forward and see it in a certain way. And I just never wanted to feel or be a victim to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame anyone who does feel that because I get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you? It's terrible. I just, I don't know. I just had this just through all of the training that I've done and all of the things that I've read and believed in and rewired my brain. And I also went and got help. I I did EMDR therapy, which is specific for grief and trauma. And I did that right away. So it wasn't all me. (laughs) I definitely reached out for the, the therapy that felt right for me. And that really helped propel me forward to be able to then manage all the feelings and do all the things that comes with death.
1: Every tool is helpful, right? Every single tool is helpful. One of the things that Michelle Hernandez says is that a lot of people will say, when are you going to get back to yourself? When are you going to get back to normal? And she explains in the book, never, you're going to be a new self Uh where you're going to incorporate the past, who you are right now and who you want to be. Can you speak to that whole philosophy?
3: I completely and utterly agree with that because who I was prior to That day is not entirely different. I'm not a completely different person, but I am definitely different in many ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, this is what I say. It's like, I got a second chance that I didn't ask for and I didn't want, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to take it. And, And, and because of that, you know, it's like, I'm looking at what's important to me now. What don't I want anymore? What doesn't work for me anymore? What, You know, it's like a whole new set of boxes that I get to check. And if I get to choose, then this is what I'm choosing and this is what I'm not choosing. And because of that, you you also have to reevaluate what are your values now? What is most important to you now? What are your priorities now? It's very different when you're going through life with a partner and then you're going through life solo. Mm -hmm. So it's reevaluating. And constantly course correcting and saying, what feels good for me? What doesn't feel good for me? And then using that as your compass to make future choices and decisions. Yes, I understand that.
1: People often want to help so much and they don't know the words to say or what to say or how to say it. They're afraid to say the wrong things. And I And I I talked to you about this before the interview that I lost a very, very dear friend of mine who was was truly an angel on this planet. And not only are you dealing with your own grief, but it's this feeling that how can you take away the pain from those who are grieving and suffering? Do you have any advice for people who just want to help the people who are grieving in the right way? And I know there's no easy answer, but.
3: There is no easy answer. And the truth is, is you can't take away pain. You can't. And for you to, or for anyone to try to is, it's futile because it's, people have to go through the feelings, right? They Mm -hmm. have to experience it. And I say you have to go through it to move through it. And Mm -hmm. so the job isn't to take away the pain. Mm -hmm. The job is to be there for it and accept it and be okay with it. And often people don't know what to say or do It's their discomfort and Mm -hmm. their projection. And I don't blame them for it. It is awkward. Mm -hmm. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Because often they're, you know, people would ask me all the time, what can I do for you? (laughs) I didn't know even how to answer that. Mm -hmm. What what I found to be so helpful was for people to just do it. (laughs) Like for people to just order the food. Don't ask (laughs) me if I want it. Just do it. (laughs) Or walk my dog. Don't, because I, you know, the person or the people who are grieving, they can't formulate a thought. They don't know what they want at that time. And to be honest, I am such a better giver than I am a receiver. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for me, even in the most desperate of times to ask for help. It's very difficult. It's necessary and I'm learning and have learned to do it. But for someone to ask what I need in that moment, I can't articulate it.
1: I've heard that so much. Yes.
3: It's almost better to just do it and you're not gonna get it wrong because anything will be appreciated. Even if I remember someone just brought me like a paper towel and I was like, that's amazing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea how helpful that was. You know? And so and just really like allowing sometimes just sitting there and saying nothing and just sitting with a person. Yes. Is enough.
1: Yes, absolutely. What are you hoping to gain from doing this podcast? Because you're helping other people, but like a teacher, you learn as you're teaching, right? So what are you hoping for clarity or what are you hoping to gain?
3: Yeah, you know, my intention is that it's cathartic for everybody. For me, it's to, again, be able to do what I feel is my purpose and my joy while also protecting my energy. And for others, it's to really... Just try and give people hope. And like I said, by no means have I figured everything out and it's not the only way, but I have managed to come out the other side and Mm -hmm. to feel hopeful again and to see the light again and to be able to feel in my own way to understand what happened and to make peace with it and all of those things. And if I can be an example for other people who are going through it and who may be struggling or who feel like there's no possible way. I just want to be an example that it is possible. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to be fun and it's not always going to feel great. And you are going to have setbacks and there are going to be difficult days, but there are also going to be lighter times and Mm -hmm. new experiences and opportunities to... Maybe do things that you never thought you could do before because you were for whatever reason, you know, just really to provide that hope for others.
1: That's huge. That's so incredible. Was there a book or an author on grief and grieving that really helped you during this time that you would recommend?
3: Not so much on grief. I did read a book called The Empath's Survival Guide by Judith Orloff and I read it and I'm rereading it because, nice. you know, sometimes you read it and you just sort of it doesn't necessarily sink in, but it resonates. Now I want it to sink in because I am an empath and I often say that it's a blessing and a curse. And mm-hmm. but often I feel drained. And because of the experience and the trauma that I had, mm-hmm. I subconsciously go to a place of, you know, if someone that I care about is struggling. Even though logically I know it's not the same and I know that they'll be okay, I just kind of get into this like, not panic necessarily, but I need them to be okay and I'm trying to fix it and do all the things and it's not my job and it's not my role. And so I have to learn to healthily detach while Mm -hmm. still being able to love and care Mm -hmm. without taking it on. So I find that that book has really been helpful for me and just giving me the tools to just in a healthy way, just detach.
1: I think the pandemic has intensified the number of mental health issues. And it seems like people are struggling more than ever. We've heard this terrible story about Twitch, which was so shocking to people because Twitch was somebody that brought light to everyone during the pandemic. And he was such a seemingly happy, optimistic, positive force. Can you speak to how that affected you when something like this happens now? Are you more sensitive? Or are you, do you have just a deeper understanding? Because I think people just couldn't get a grip on this one.
3: Yeah, look, I think that it is shocking, especially when you're looking at a public figure They're perceived in the way that the media wants them to be perceived. And none of us really know what's going on behind closed doors. And we can say that to people we know too. You never know. My husband was a perfect example of this. He was a light. He was a leader. He was fun and funny and, you know, spoke openly about his mental health. And he was someone who did the work and was trying to do the work. And then, When it overcame him, it was shocking for everybody who knew him, including myself. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it, it is shocking, but we just have to understand that we don't always know what is going on behind closed doors. And so it's an opportunity for us to try and have more compassion and less judgment Mm -hmm. of people and situations and circumstances because you really just never know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true.
1: Absolutely true. What do you say to the person who is grieving so much that they can't even breathe, they cannot like literally breathe, they can't, Move forward at all. They're stuck. They're paralyzed. You know, it's new, or maybe it isn't new. Maybe it's been going on for over a year and they're still feeling that way. Other than hope, is there anything like tangible that you can offer that they can do? Or is, again,
3: I mean, really the simple answer is just breathe. Like, just breathe. (laughs) Right? Because that's everything. I mean, without breath, there's nothing. So if that's all you can do in a moment, just breathe. And then take another breath and then take another breath and be okay with where you are in that very moment without judgment, without trying to change it. Because I think when people get to that state of not being able to breathe, it's because they feel like they should be doing something else or more, or they're getting it wrong, or they should be further along or whatever it is. But if you can just breathe and be where you are in that moment without being anywhere like i often say just be where your feet are planted like <laughs> just be in that present moment and let it lift and if it lifts just a little bit then try and move an inch forward but you can't move without the breath
1: that's so brilliant i got to tell you not only you're so inspirational and so positive and hopeful and i love that you talk about being able to find joy and love and purpose again after the loss of someone you love. You say that your podcast is designed for widows, but it's also for people who are divorced or anyone who is just feeling lost or alone. Can you just speak briefly to that?
3: Yeah. I mean, loss can come in so many different shapes and sizes. It's not just from death. It's the loss of your person through divorce or a breakup or just feeling like you're just Lost yourself. And so I didn't want this to just be for widows or widowers. I wanted it to be an empowering way for anybody who's just feeling like they want to navigate forward and they want to shift perspective and look at life differently and change their mindset and find the silver lining and all the things because it's all relative, right? And you don't have to go through a tragedy. Or a traumatic experience to want to change and have your life be different. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm my hope is that it's relevant for any and all of those categories, I'm just coming at it as a widow. But yeah, I really want it to be for anybody who it's really about finding yourself again, right? Mm-hmm. And and just so many people, you know, that saying is like, you complete me. Well You need to be complete first. (laughs) You can be on the journey with me and it'll be a lot more fun, but I don't want anybody to complete me. I need to be complete first and then come along for the ride. So that's my goal is to really just empower people to find themselves first And then you'll attract naturally the people who are vibing at your energy. So I would recommend really getting yourself to a good place because otherwise you're going to attract all the other crap,
1: (laughs) the (laughs) riffraff. That's right. right. (laughs) What is bliss these days for Carly Cooper?
3: (sighs) That's a good question. Bliss is just being in a place where I feel really strong and that I I say this a lot in my podcast, and I'll continue to, where I really do feel like I'm at a place where I am unapologetic, where I can easily say no to things now because they just don't feel like a good fit. And that feels really liberating for someone who was a people pleaser and someone who often did things out of guilt and obligation. And not to say that, there's not a little bit of that still, because in order to be liked in this world, you have to give a little, but you know, I really do feel like I know me and I know what I want and I know who I want to be around and who I don't want to be around. And that feels freeing yeah. and bliss for me. That's
1: so great. Are you having fun doing the podcast? Cause it's so good and Thank you me. seem so grounded in, in, in your element as you're doing it. Is it fun? Yeah, you know, it is fun because right now I'm I'm
3: really coming at it with a place of zero pressure. I want it to be successful. I want it people to listen to it and I want to have impact, but I'm not at this moment monetizing it. There's no like real goal other than to just put it out there and see where it lands. And so that also feels liberating for me to just put it out with good intention and trust that things will come when, and things will seek me out instead of me constantly seeking
1: it out. Wow. Well, I just wish you the best continued success with it. It's fabulous. I can't wait to listen to the next one. And I really want to thank you so much for coming back on the show, Carly. It's always an honor to have you. With thank us. you
3: always for being so generous with your time. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Carly. Carly, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? And of course, to listen to your podcast. So that just happened. So I am on
3: Facebook under Carly Cooper. I am on Instagram under Coach Carly at Coach Carly. And so anyone can private message me on either one of those and you can find my podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. So on Spotify, on Apple, on any of the other ones, iHeartRadio, and it's called So That Just Happened. And you can search by that or Carly Cooper and yeah, would love to see you.
1: Each week we spotlight somebody fabulous like Carly on this show. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one meditation app. And of course, you can always reach us on Instagram at The Bliss Minute and Facebook The Bliss Minute. I would like to thank our wonderful guests, Michelle Neff Hernandez and Carly Cooper for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Meg Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Nayira Money, audio engineer, Juliana Yanuciello, senior editor, Lauren Kaminsky, video editor, Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer, Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center.
2: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of
0: great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.